0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Oscar Poker. This is Sasha Stone with AwardsDaily.com.
1: And Jeffrey Wells of HollywoodElsewhere.com.
0: So um, I'm, like, barely awake because I... Up all night, right? I was. I I don't know what's going on, but, like, I woke up at, like... um, I I woke up at 1, and then I couldn't go back to sleep. And so by 3 a.m., I just decided to get up and get coffee and look at the news and, um, and I've been awake ever since. So I have that kind of bleary eyed, you know, up all night kind of vibe.
1: I did get I, sleep, but for what it's worth, I do that quite a lot, but never I uh, wake up at one. And if I do for some strange reason, <clears throat> if I wake up at three or something like that, I, I just think it's not worth fighting it. So I just get up. Yeah. But, but After about three hours or just around dawn, I I know that I can go slip in and I go right back and I wake up around eight or nine or something like that. It happens.
0: I was reading at one point, sometime I was reading uh, a story about history where where people did that, where they, that was part of uh, the regular life where they would wake up in the middle of the night, they'd get up, they'd eat a meal, they'd hang out, then they'd go back to sleep. And well, so, that's
1: asking for trouble to eat something, isn't it?
0: Well, that's just what they did. I okay. am um, I mean, as part of a ritual, like, you know, the, I'm not sure when the whole eight hours thing came into play where people have to sleep all night. But, um, but anyway, I don't know what went on with me. It was really weird. Mm. But so anyway, I was following all this news about.
1: Well, you told me that, that you're, you got very... Uh upset in a big way. And I don't blame anybody for doing that about the Israel Hamas situation. That's what kept you up, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I probably would have stayed up anyway. It would have been something else. But um, but, you know, what's weird about our lives today, especially if you're plugged into the Internet, is is that you you experience something with with millions of people all over the world exactly at the same time. Yeah. And we're just not prepared for that. It's never happened in our history. We don't, our brains are way too fragile to understand how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And I think it gets us caught up in in emotions that we're not really equipped to handle. Um, Okay. I don't know where it's going to take us. Probably nowhere good, but um, you know, eventually we'll have to learn to adapt and live with it, just like we did any other major technological advancement, like the printing press or the television or the mm-hmm. radio, whatever it was. The iPhone, you know, it changed humanity forever, and and the internet has and social media. They've changed humanity forever.
1: Well, how is it? Um, I guess less traumatic or less upsetting. To hear about the six day war in the Yom Kippur War in sixty seven and you hear about that or read about that in the New York Times say a day yeah. later, as opposed to hearing about it almost at the same time as it's unfolding online or it's on Twitter or looking at uh, <clears throat> at um, uh you know, YouTube captures or whatever. I mean, it's it's yeah. happening all the time. What's the difference? It's only a, just a day later, but you're still getting, what you mean is that the visual is more intense, right? The no, sound, it's not the really
0: thing. that. It's more about, I think personally, it's more about um, the shock of finding out something right at once, you know, and instead of yeah. waking up and reading your paper and just looking at it and going, oh, I can't believe that. And then you turn the page and you move on to something else. But in this case, it's sort of all around you. Uh, if you're on Twitter, it's on YouTube, it's on, you know, television, it's in the news, it's on the newspapers, it's it's hitting your <clears throat> inbox with news alerts. And it's, it's shocking um, to hear about the things that you're hearing about. It's not like what we usually are used to hearing about, which is, you know, the droning on of another war between, you know, <laughs> Israel yeah. and Palestine, which we've been hearing our whole lives,
1: right? Right. For 50 years. I mean, at least 50 years, if not Mm -hmm. a little bit longer. I don't know when the first major conflict between uh, Israel and Palestine was it was the one before the Six Day War. I I, I mean, I'm just guessing there was all kinds of activity. Uh, But uh, I mean, so my first reaction when I heard about it, as I wrote, actually, uh, I said that, you know, um, when I first heard about it, I went, oh, you know, that's why I didn't respond. I said, oh, here we go again. Mm -hmm. Another thing, you know, because this has been happening at intervals for for decades, uh, the last big one was. When was it, the last big one? The the uh, intifada, the last intifada. When was that? Um, I'm I'm. There's so many uh, skirmishes and and you know, horror yeah. and bloodshed. It's, it's uh, you, you kind of lose track of all the various. Uh,
0: well, the thing to pay attention to, other than just the human cost and the horrors of it, mm-hmm. um, is the bigger picture i think and what's actually happening uh globally not just you know what's going on what is this really about this apparently they're using weapons that the u.s left in afghanistan
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, hamas has confirmed and israel has confirmed that they that they're that they took all those weapons to use we should not have left them behind right. and um and that exit from afghanistan in my opinion And I'm not the only person who thinks this, you know, it revealed to the world that we have a a leader who's not up for the job and couldn't handle something. We lost 13 soldiers and we left all that equipment. We we kicked up a um, humanitarian crisis in the area Mm -hmm. and we destabilized the Middle East. But more than that, we showed people, you know, autocrats and tyrants all over the world that, you know there's a there's a weakness that can be exploited now that the US is is not on the ball plus all of their focus on Trump their obsession <laughs> with Trump and his supporters calling American citizens the greatest threat that, that we're facing all these other people are just ready you know the wolves are at the are at the gate that's how i see it anyway well when you look
1: uh, at Biden i'm not disputing that he's he certainly projects frailty and uh but it's not really Joe Biden alone, of course. It's a team of people that he is um,
0: yeah, but working he with, and with,
1: he's with, not, he's not the only guy making a call here. Well, exactly. in
0: Afghanistan, he was. He ignored the advice of his generals because he wanted the photo op of uh, before nine eleven. So that was a huge mistake and and a an, uh, you know catastrophic mistake. It'll probably take us into World War three eventually.
1: Are you saying that we should have stayed there indefinitely?
0: No, I think they should have gotten out, but that he did it the wrong way. I
1: agree with that.
0: Yeah. So if you're going to show the world that you're doing this and you have people, bodies falling off airplanes and you lose 13 of your own soldiers, Mm -hmm. that's a mess. A huge, ugly. And that's when his poll numbers dropped and they never recovered. You Mm -hmm. can see it on the Real Clear Politics. He's up here in the sixties and fifties, and then August twenty twenty one, they drop and then they stay dropped,
1: all until now. It was sort this of like is why nobody else got out of Afghanistan because they knew that the people who felt that it would be, uh, you know, bad image for this country, but yeah, had to get out there. You, you know, the yeah, invaders, but not that way. Never prevails. You have to get out. His you generals to, like,
0: were advising him not to do it the way that he did it, and he did it the wrong way, and and he shouldn't have. Left all that equipment. Um, they should have gotten the people out first, and then the soldiers. You know, there just there was there was a way to do it that it wasn't didn't show the world that we are completely incompetent and don't know what we're doing.
1: Well, that's not um, true. We're not completely incompetent. Obviously, uh-huh. there's a, 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 a serious, Herculean effort to support Ukraine. That's not incompetent. We, mm. You know, Russia has been fought back upon very. Yeah, vigorously. but they could
0: have they could have broached a deal. What Putin wanted was uh, for Ukraine not to join NATO, and now that's you've right. got all this that's business all with yes. Okay. Yeah, they could have negotiated, and they have all this weird business with with Joe Biden and his son and Ukraine. It, it looks very. It doesn't make
1: any difference. He just had a typical corrupt son. So there's a lot of rich guys and powerful guys who have wastrel, bad, a, bad apple sons who have mm-hmm. screwed through the you know shit on the bed and made things awful for a lot that's, of people. That's just, the story. That's, that's, that's you know that's where all we are. it is, Just another bad son.
0: Where so we like, are in this story is is at that moment when Nixon's approval ratings were like sixty. And he everybody thought that the bad people around him were just his 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 underlings and that he wasn't involved in any of the crimes. But What you're going to find out probably is eventually is that Biden was involved in a lot of this stuff and that he used his son because his son's reputation was already ruined um, as a cover to to, you know, make millions of dollars that he wouldn't make just as a congressman. He's not Hillary. He's not Obama. He can't just write a book. He doesn't get $600,000 speaking fees. Nobody wants to hear him speak. How else was he going to build his fortune? (laughs) But anyway, we can save that for another time. Let's not let's not bog down the podcast with that. It's too depressing and we disagree and there's no point in arguing about something we'll never agree on. So, um
1: what, what do we have to do? Are we, are we talk about stuff we're completely insane. Well, I, I don't no, We
0: can talk about history. Israel, but I don't want to talk about Ukraine and Biden and all that. I don't. So um, that that's well, something we're. He's
1: just... not a. I just don't think he. You know, either he's a frail person who's gotten too old to, for the job, which I think is. Uh, he's certainly projecting that, and if he is, then you then he's not really uh, running the show the way. Well, the, the
0: corruption that we're talking about happened a long time ago. You know, it's not a new thing. It's, it's, it was steady through his, a little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, it's not unusual in, uh, uh, Washington, um, influence peddling is common among yes, everybody. Totally but
1: standard. I mean, you know, it's I, standard, that, but
0: not in a case like this, not in a case where Ukraine is involved and a war is involved and money going to Ukraine is involved and an impeachment of a former president is involved uh, because of a phone call to Ukraine. So there's a lot of weird tentacles into this story. We don't have a lot of good reporters on the case. It's not on the left.
1: We don't have enough good reporters on the case in, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. No, people on this are, on
0: this story, this Watergate like story that none of the reporters on the left will touch because they don't want to hurt Biden and they don't want to hurt the Democrats and they don't want to help Trump. So they're not doing their job. And, and, but yeah, and
1: you think that if they were good people, they would help Trump?
0: I think if they were good people, they would be Woodward and Bernstein and they'd be getting the story no matter what the Brother. politics involved. But we don't have Woodward and Bernstein because Woodward and Bernstein are now paid guests on MSNBC. So we don't okay. get the truth anymore, really. But anyway, beyond that, um, mm-hmm. I disagreed with you about your take on Hamas because mm-hmm. there's this new trend on the left, like my daughter's generation, um, and you can see them right now. If you go on Twitter, you'll see they're all marching in Times Square um, for the Palis- Square right now. Yeah, for the Palestinians, uh, defending Palestine. Um, I didn't
1: know that. That's happening as we speak. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. And um and they see Israel as the enemy, and they see the Palestinians as the victims, and um and so even victims. They're the victims. You think so? I mean, if
1: you look at the history of the last fifty years, look at what kind of land the Palestinians had in nineteen forty-six. Look at what had happened in, in by the sixties. I mean, it's been smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh basically it's like they've been pushed around and limited and they and, and particularly the, the Israeli settlements uh in the last ten, fifteen years. It's been pretty um it's pretty pretty decisive and pretty conclusive. These are they're not getting the the uh you know the fruit. They're they're getting the shit into the So ship. if they if
0: the Native the Americans oil. in this country decided to rise up and, and fight back now all, now? Later, right now, all these centuries later. All these centuries later. Right. They they did fight back when we first came to the New World in the sixteen hundreds, there was the King Philip's war and they were yeah. attacking the Puritans and the colonies. They were scalping children, they were kidnapping children, they were slaughtering uh people and animals. And and, you know, the Puritans fought them back. They didn't have the kind of army we have now. But yeah. we did the same thing to the Indians. So let's say, you know, their land got smaller and smaller. We moved them, you know, to Osage and then they
1: That's true. You know, so they they did get pushed around. All right. So if
0: they were around and they had an army and they killed 600 Americans, they came on, they just decided we're done. We're going to get our land back. What would you say about that? Yeah.
1: If they, what if they did that? I would say, I understand their, their, their motivation. Um, They're going to get shut down because they haven't got the power to fight a big federal government with a big military, but Mm -hmm. I would certainly not, I would certainly not say they don't have the motivation to do that. That's all I'm saying with the fellow Palestinians. They're going to lose, of course, and they're bringing horrible destruction upon themselves. And, of course, this is the activist, hardcore uh, aspect of the, of the Palestinian culture, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah, they're, they're bringing nothing but ruin and, and, and rockets and, and blood and, and horror upon themselves. And most of the Palestinians, as you know, as with any culture, they're men and women with children trying to live, trying to have schools, trying to have, you know, decent place to live. It's not, you know, we're talking about a fringe crazed element that is very, very angry about the history of what's happened in that region for the last 50 years. 50 they're,
0: they're just say it, Jeff, they're terrorists. Okay. Yes. They're terrorists. Well, they're like the guys who flew into terror. the yes, world trade center to punish us for our
1: crimes Rube. in the middle yeah. East. Well, you know, Norm, I mean, Chomsky said, you know, we're the only big rogue nation and we got, basically we brought on the nine 11 thing. It wasn't just because these people were evil and they, they are in the hands of the devil. I mean, we did encourage this kind of anger and rage on their part. I'm not justifying it. I'm, not just, I'm just saying these things don't happen out of a vacuum. Um, you know, when people get angry enough to even destroy themselves by, sh- by attacking, as, as the Hamas people are doing, it's because of huge rage and, and, and fury that they feel over the last 50 years. Are the, is it a smart thing to do? No, it's not smart. It's silly and it's horrible. The murder and everything, but you can't just say that they're evil and they and they have no motivation. Of course they do. Just like if Native Americans were to try to, you know, have a big military movement against the U.S. government, I, it's silly. But but they have a they have their reasons. I, I'm not going to say they wouldn't. Uh, you know, I mean, you can't say they are they they don't have their reasons, right? That's all I'm saying.
0: I mean, I guess. If you want to say a guy who's mad um, for being bullied and abused goes and shoots up a bunch of people in the school, he has his reasons, too. Do you sympathize with him? No. Um, Okay. Then it's terrorism is terrorism. And if you're going to go and kill people because you're mad and you're going to rape women and you're going to steal babies and slaughter them and and ride them through your town and have people pounding on their heads and filming it with your cell phones... And putting it online and laughing about it and mocking people. And mm. and over 600 people die. And they, they took vulnerable people, old people, stole them from their homes. Is it their fault, the history? It, no, it's No, not. But
1: there, there is. You can't just say there's no motivation. I mean, uh, the, obviously, this is Hamas's deal, and they're going to bring su- such terror and horror upon their own people. But... If you look at the last 50 years, there is at least... You you can't say there's not... My only
0: point to you was twofold. Number one, you insult my intelligence by pretending I didn't already know that. Of course I know that. I'm an old person. I know history. I've always been sympathetic to the Palestinians. I always feel badly for them. You can't work in the Oscar race or in Hollywood without seeing 10 million of those films every single year from the point of view of the Palestinians. That's the only sympathy afforded. Israel gets none of it, you know? So it's all... Palestinians, and everybody, of course, sympathizes with them. So that's insulting to say. The second thing it's is... It's not
1: insulting. I'm just making a point. I know, but it's insulting for
0: you to lecture me when you think I don't know that, and you think I'm some crazy Zionist or whatever, some pro-Israel person. Well, I've never been. Zionist. But I don't like terrorism of this magnitude, and I think it's, it's um, right. barbaric and horrific and, and deserves people to stand up and say this is wrong and not hedge on a day when this is happening like wait wait a week and then start talking about well you know because it's shocking and horrible to hear all this and people are losing their babies were ripped out of their mother's arms babies okay
1: i know there's a woman who was partying with some friends and she was like 17 and she got dragged they grabbed her and she's now a prisoner it's pretty pretty horrific
0: oh no it's it's beyond horrific and i you know I'm definitely somebody who will criticize the U.S. and especially with the war in Iraq and all. You know, I mean, we've done. Uh, t- I'm not saying we're a great nation or that Israel is a great nation, but I will say this about people: there's no such thing as good people and bad people. People are people, and and it, the only thing that separates us is power and status. And if we have yeah. power, we'll all act exactly the same way. They would be doing exactly the same thing if the shoe was on the other foot. Um, because that's how power works. That's how humans work. We migrate. We build tribes. We fight wars. We fight for territory. Right. Nature is ruthless and cruel. Like when they steal, when a, when a, a wolf is hungry, they're going to go for the baby in the pack because the baby's the easiest to get. That's right. And if you start applying fairness or, you know, and, and you start saying, well, that's not fair. How can the coyote eat the rabbit? Poor little rabbit. Shouldn't he have a life? Well, what about the coyote, you know? Yeah. And and humans are always going to be dominant over territory. We always have been. To think that anybody got there first uh, is crazy because there's always another group of people that got there before that were slaughtered and yeah. displaced, you know. Um, it's, it's just about technological advancement. So we expanded west. We had guns, you know, and, and we could kill the Native Americans and they didn't, their weaponry couldn't fend us off,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. Uh, and now we all have nukes. Right and and the Iran, mm-hmm. Iran that that Joe Biden just uh, allowed for six billion dollars in funding to go their way, and they funded this Hamas attack. Now has money to develop nuclear weapons, you know. And I don't know how crazy they are. Are they crazy enough to drop a nuke on on America?
1: Who uh, Hamas or Iran?
0: Iran, or who? Iran.
1: Who? Iran. Iran. Okay.
0: Sorry. I know you don't like it when I say. Iran but if I say Iran you don't know what I'm saying
1: <laughs> so Uran, I say, Uran.
0: no Iran I'm just gonna I say Iran because you can you hear me when I say
1: it Iraq like I was talking to a uh, a French director who did a documentary and he says it's pronounced Urak, Urak, not Iraq like Jimmy Carter said right? I know you know
0: I know. But um, I, you know, three years ago when I started my, uh, my Substack, I was thinking about this, the concept of the fourth turning, right? Neil Howe wrote this book called The Fourth Turning. He wrote it in 1997, which Mm -hmm. predicts society turning over every 80 years or so. And every 80 years, something really catastrophic happens that reinvents the whole new Mm -hmm. world, like the Civil War, the Revolutionary War. And we're in one now. And so I was writing back then about like what I thought would happen for World War Three, you know, and and I was trying to imagine what it would be. And I was thinking Iran, Iran and Russia and maybe China um, up against the U.S. and Israel and maybe Saudi Arabia.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. it feels weird that we have these two major conflicts happening at the same time to me and that the money is flowing and that we've made such an enemy of Putin
1: um we have made an enemy of Putin because of the NATO thing with
0: Well he whoever's well we're obviously fighting a war with him we're fighting a proxy war Yeah right so he obviously wants to punish the United States and I just don't don't know is he going to you know are they going to partner with these other countries is China going to get involved like it feels very weird right now. It feels very, everything feels very unstable.
1: You know, it's just a matter of um, of uh, of Ukraine saying, okay, forget um, NATO, uh, joining NATO. For, forget that. Uh, yeah. will, will that cool this out? You know, so we, we just drop that and put that uh, away and that's not going to happen. I don't see what's so terrible about that. I think it's We're, too
0: late. I think he could have done that early on, but I think he's gotten himself in too deep now.
1: And well, it's it, a concession if, you were, if they were to say it; they were, were going to be. He can't. He can't gonna... possibly
0: give up. He's not. They're not going to allow him to give up. The United States won't allow. It's too embarrassing. Well, they don't want to it. give up. Zelensky.
1: That's not giving up. That's just saying, as a term of, of ceasing hostilities. Uh, we understand what you're saying about NATO, and we will. Abstain from joining NATO. What's the what's the That's not giving up. That's just saying okay, you know. Again, evil as Putin is, he he did this because he felt threatened by the encroachment of of NATO, and he wanted to show that he was still a tough guy and that Russia was not this diminished country. And you know, so that's what he's saying. Something he's not just doing it because he's seized by the devil. It's not
0: just that. It's not just that. It's also about oil and resources um
1: oil in ukraine yeah i didn't think that was an oil producing country is
0: it well there's some sort of borders that ports ports of entry that that have that that putin is interested in mm-hmm. but i mean i think it's it's uh it's a war that americans are going to want to fight but they're probably going to wait till after the election or it might it might happen before the election i don't know but they're mm-hmm. going to send in troops I think. U.S. troops? Yeah. Think? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, you think? Well, they're, not gonna they be, they're not going to be... They're not. It's going to be like Vietnam. They're not going to lose this... They're not going to want to lose this war.
1: They, the idea was to basically just do it by proxy and not uh, really get into the... If they were winning, but they're
0: not winning. They're not winning. Ukraine is not winning the war, so... Uh, well...
1: So they so because they don't they're pushing back pretty strong against them. I mean, Russia thought this thing was going to be over in a couple of weeks when they first went. in. They're
0: pushing back strong. But people like Tom Cotton, senators like him, Republicans and neocons and neolibs, Mm -hmm. they think that they should just that Biden and and Americans should just have gone in, brought troops and ended it immediately. Um, I don't think so, because I don't think uh, Putin would give up so easily. Uh, knowing Russia's history. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it would have been much bigger bloody conflict, a world war, in fact. Yeah. But what do I know? I know nothing. I mean, we should talk about movies, something I know more about.
1: (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Spike (laughs) Lee and his uh, his blanket uh, approval of Lily Gladstone, which I think is ridiculous. He's too smart. To To and too perceptive I, I I don't know him, but I do know a guy who used to work with him, Sam Kitt, he used to be partnered um I know that i've I've spoken to spike uh, at different times. He is one sharp player he's not like kind of just to go along or who just says what it is, and yet for some reason. He's playing along with the uh, identity people, with the uh, wokesters, and and saying to um, the Washington Post just a couple of days ago that he's completely knocked out by Scorsese's magnificent film, which is not a magnificent film. It's a well-made film. I mean, he but he's you know, and he has to he says this stuff because he wants to play along. And be part of that crowd, part of the uh, identity uh, s- celebrating crowd, and he doesn't want to be an outlier. So he's just saying this stuff for whatever. It's it's, it's very disappointing to see a smart guy do this. And then he goes along with uh, Lily Gladstone being a so she's going to win. She's the, she she's the best actress winner. That's ridiculous to say that now, now. For political reasons, you might win, and because the the people that are That believe that identity counts more than anything else, and the the hell with how good the performance is, or how um, you know how much she gives, or whether she has a couple of really killer scenes, which she doesn't. She doesn't have a killer scene the way, for instance, uh, Beatrice Straight did in Network, that kind of thing. You know, she doesn't have anything like that. She just is there as a presence, which we naturally feel compassion for, and the you know the poor woman and her. And her um, family, her Nation family are being horribly, brutally murdered for money. And so naturally, your heart goes out and you want to see them, um, you know, but, but for Spike to say that she's the best actress winner, this is silly, but he says it because he's I, I I wrote in yesterday I think it was that he's basically there's two people there's the guy who really knows this business and one of the most exciting and cool filmmakers I've ever uh, in the last 50 years, and then he he turns around and decides to become this 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 voice for. Um, for accommodation to identity above all, which is mm-hmm. which is really really upsetting to me personally because I really admire the guy.
0: Well, he's always been and that way. He's he's very much an identity forward woke kind of guy. That's that's Spike Lee. <laughs> he always has been, and. Um,
1: just because he's a person of color, because he he knows about Malcolm X and he's done some really good films like Do the Right Thing. I mean, so he had, that means he's automatically with the Walkers.
0: I think they I mean, like I mean, I think he likes the movie because it confirms this, you know, American Americans as, you know, genocidal murderers of mm-hmm. indigenous people. That's what that movie's about and and that's what you know people like Spike Lee have been saying forever he thinks that slavery was like the holocaust and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he very much condemns and he's always coming up to say it's racism if a white actress beats a black actress and things like that so he's very much into this idea of um equity and and recognizing marginalized groups he's not really someone who's just going to go around celebrating for instance you and he agree on Oppenheimer. You think that he, both of you, think that they should have shown that the the obliteration um of the Japanese during the right. war,
2: yeah.
0: and um and he agrees with that because it goes along with his worldview. Once again, right? Let's show how bad these people were. Let's show how horrible they were. Mm. But the problem is that's not what Oppenheimer is about Oppenheimer is told from the first person perspective, and it's shared with Lewis Strauss. It's it's how the story was told. So he's not gonna ta- he's not gonna depart from that because the movie's about uh, his internal world and maybe people don't think that that's very exciting but it's not about. I'm afraid about I feel world that way I didn't
1: feel it was riveting I, it's certainly well put together there's no question that this is a smart guy film made by a by a brilliant filmmaker but uh, my point early on before I even saw the film was that sidestepping Hiroshima and the and Nagasaki the the greatest uh, most most inhumane ma- massacre in world history it's a little bit like making as i wrote a film about the confederate plot to murder president lincoln and many of his cabinet officers and then omitting the tragedy that happened inside Ford's theater on the night of 4 65 You know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's what the movie's about, but we're not going to show that because we kind of don't want to do that. because Yeah, good. and
0: if he had shown it, it would have been a whole new different... There would have been protests from the Japanese people. There would have been uh, apologies. It would have been a huge shitstorm that America was what, making. Exactly? For showing a movie about genocide.
1: Like, that's not... But that's what the whole bomb thing was it was about murdering god knows how many thousands of people Jeff, a way of what did you like did you
0: like suddenly go through a lobotomy and, and come out of it as like a democratic socialist who lives in brooklyn or something your no, father was a marine who fought the
2: about. your the father was account. a
0: marine who fought in world war 2 you were the one that told me that if they hadn't dropped the bombs on the Japanese, that that war would have continued, and you might not be here. That he'd be dead. That's true. That's true. Okay, so it's not just about murdering the Japanese. That wasn't what that was just about.
1: Well, it was initially going to be about murdering mass numbers of Germans, because that that was his initial motivation in getting uh, into the idea of of, of creating a, an atomic bomb. Wasn't that his initial yeah. thing? but it was also, also the
0: fog of war, right? That. They, first of all, they had never dropped a bomb before like that on civilians. They didn't know what it was going to do. Right. Um, but to call them murderers, I think, is is misguided. But,
1: but, but war is cruelty. War war is horror. It's not about yeah. But uh,
0: murder is what they did to the Osage Indians. Like that, that is out flat out murder. They wanted them dead. They killed them specifically to have them dead. In the Japanese case, they wanted to show force to make them stop and to end the war. Yeah. And that's different from. But
1: they didn't, didn't want to do that. They decided. The Japanese attacked
0: us. They attacked Pearl Harbor. That's right. And they weren't going to stop. We, it was reluctant participation in World War II by the United States. Yeah. It wasn't actively dropping bombs on them just to kill them. It was, they are not going to stop. And how many more of our U.S. soldiers are going to die?
1: That's right. That's, and, what, and that's why they dropped it. You have that's to right. be
0: able to have the same nuance as we look at this Israel thing. You can't just take one side and condemn the other. You have to see the whole picture and the nuance of the situation.
1: Can I ask the question? Did J. Robert Robert Oppenheimer feel any guilt about what happened uh, with the bombs in Japan?
0: Did you see the movie?
1: You you, you read the book. You, you know more about it than I do. So did Well, he feel you, any you saw guilt the movie.
0: The whole movie is about his guilt.
1: Okay, so it's a, obviously it's about guilt about what happened. As a result, it was about he was upset. He was he was disturbed uh by the um, by the massacre of those of those japanese citizens so why do we have to because put it's still around? it's not
0: murder he wouldn't have called it murder he called it he was depressed and sat and and uh, upset that he helped develop the technology that could kill that many people all at once a nuclear mm-hmm. bomb right but he and everybody else in america wasn't saying you know don't drop bombs on the japanese they weren't saying that because the japanese were attacking us and they weren't going to stop, right? They won't, the Japanese were fighting for their own territory, just like they are now in Israel. and, and yeah, that's what humans do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just a matter. What separates them is who has power, who has money, who has status. But basically, at their heart, at our hearts, we're all the same in that way. There's no good no. and bad. There's only who has power and who doesn't, you know? And that's what nuclear bombs are about. Now everybody has, has them, and probably Iran is going to get one. Yeah. Um. Anyway, um, I anyway
1: I, that's what it is. I mean, yeah. I, I I think it's pussyfooting to to avoid it. Uh, I, I think did. it's
0: I think it would have been exploitative to show it, exploitative to show it. Personally, um, I think that's too uh, horrific to just drop into a movie about J. Robert Oppenheimer um it's better That's
1: precisely what the bomb was about it was about mass. no
0: if you want to make a movie about world war ii then show the bombing show the killing it uh he what you're looking at is his reaction to what happened yeah you know? and it works for some people it doesn't work for others obviously you and spike lee are simpatico on that i mm. disagree but so what? We have our different opinions. You know, you didn't really love the movie. I do. I think it's wonderful. Not wonderful well, is the wrong word, but absolutely exceptional and there's great.
1: No, there's no escaping. I, went to, I was intrigued enough and impressed enough by, by the brilliance of that film, by the intellectual, cerebral brilliance of it, that I went to see it again. And I'll tell you, after I came out, I said, that's it, man. I'm not seeing that film a third time. <laughs> and when you are looking at a film, at, for, even the first time, and, there's, and you look at your watch, and you're at the one-hour mark, and you go to yourself, oh, my God, there's two hours left. That's, that's a problem, and I'm not the only person who's ever who's felt that way. At the same time, now, you can feel and, and say two things at the same time. I felt trapped by that film, but I knew it was first-rate. There's no question about it. I'll never say it's not a first-rate effort uh particularly the the, the but it, it I felt trapped by it I felt like he was I was stuck in that in a box with that guy and I really didn't like him frankly I hated that expression on his face those blue eyes with that kind of dopey alien from Trafalmador expression on his face he's always you know he didn't seem like a human being ever at one point I was just annoyed as really annoyed by him and and yet I was stuck with him. That's why I didn't like the idea of hanging out with that guy for three hours. But I was forced to. Yet, I do understand uh, Chris Nolan's approach. And I, I would certainly never never say don't give this movie the respect it deserves. Because it does deserve respect. It really does. Mm. No question about it. So
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely not a movie for everybody. You know, mm. the people that I've taken to see it have all loved it. Uh no. Even the, <laughs> well, even my Generation Z nieces loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, they just thought it was superb,
1: and um, so so they loved hanging out with 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 Oppenheimer and his yeah little you know his 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 thin body and the and the, and the creepy everything creepy. about him is creepy. You know, I just you know I wish I wish that uh, brilliant people geniuses were more uh, uh, you know. More charming, but he certainly wasn't.
0: Oh God, speak for yourself. I thought he was so charming. Okay. In the book and in the movie. First of all, it's Killian Murphy he's like one of the most attractive men.
1: I just dis- strongly disagree. He well, really bothered the fuck out of me.
0: I thought he was just dreamy and a lot of people think he's really, really dreamy. So uh yep. I don't know what you're talking about, but I thought he was unbelievably gorgeous throughout.
1: And, and um, I don't go into movies with a chip on my shoulder looking to start a fight. I mean, I'm sitting there. You kind of do. wide open. Huh?
0: You kind of do.
1: I do. I go in with a chip. My, I really uh-huh. do. Sometimes. I mean, I went, I went in with this thing. Okay, here we go. The new Chris Nolan. And it, an hour later, I was like having, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to blame you for it. Everybody has a right. You know, everybody's in. That's your taste. You know, everybody's entitled to their taste. In movies, you know, some movies that I see that I cannot stand that Mm -hmm. everybody else loves, you know. So speaking of which, we can also talk about All of Us Strangers, if you'd like. Sure. Um, I actually...
1: When did that open, by the way?
0: I don't know. It just played at the London... I think it's November
1: sometime, right?
0: It just played at the London Film Festival, along with David Fincher's movie, The Killer, and... uh, some other movies, I can't remember, but but at London Film Festival is going on at the same time the New York Film Festival is going on. So
1: Yes, and it just played here also. Yeah. yeah.
0: Sure. The problem with movies like that, All mm-hmm. of Us Strangers, or anything where there's like a social justice kind of theme to it, yeah. um, you can never trust people's reactions to it because they're always so worried about being attacked that I feel like they... Um, soften their impressions, even if, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think they wouldn't want to say they're homophobic, for instance, if they didn't like that movie. They
1: you, and I, you and I know exactly what happened. There, there's a, all the critics out there who have been written about uh, all of us strangers uh, have said, um, they know exactly what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. And what you're not allowed to say is what I said, which is that I didn't particularly like the the gay sex scenes frankly i didn't like sitting through them they're not my idea of a of a cool time i mean i i i'm you know is there any way to just be honest about that and not be <laughs> labeled homophobic no <laughs> if you say that you're a homophobe
0: well we were talking about we were you and i were talking about first of all i want to say that beyond that i actually really liked the movie i kind of loved the movie just beyond the sex part of it it did which, I did. It was, it ended up moving me in a way that it was kind of like uh that the whale movie with Brendan Fraser. Like it moved me regardless. Like I couldn't help but respond emotionally. Andrew Scott's performance is so good. And the uh, parents, his scenes with the parents just got me, you know? And, and if they would, had had less sex between the two men, I would have mm-hmm. really liked the, the Roman, the relationship. Cause I thought Paul Mescal, that's like the only thing he's ever done that I thought was good. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but um God. but i the problem with the sex is that
1: I, you know there i was like shatterpines that you. you're calling men together gross said, no it's not gross it's i didn't particularly like it i didn't want to it watch did, it didn't I, have to be so graphic i thought
0: like and and that's not homophobia that's if it was a straight couple i would have said the same thing if we saw a scene where like you know his penis is entering her and she's like all hesitant and and then the sperm is on the chest and she licks it off and i you saw the same thing in Saltburn, the same kind of graphic sex. And that was also yeah. kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's just that it doesn't belong in a movie, in my opinion, that's so um, emotional, you know, and mm-hmm. merging that graphic sexuality with the, the relationship with the parents and them all in bed together and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, they're going to really love that. And as uh, you and I were talking earlier, which is that they're under pressure from the gay community to be graphic because yeah. they always get complaints that people say, oh, are you afraid, you know, are you trying to hide what gay sex is? Do you hate gay sex?
1: In other so, words, the, the approach that Luca Guadagnino, who I love and admire, he did a straight friendly gay movie with Call Me By Your Name. He didn't completely sanitize or, or step away from from depictions of eroticism and sexuality, but he played it light. He, he let people like me uh, respond to it emotionally and not, you know, get into the sexual stuff. And, but because, of, you know, I mean, I was, I, I also felt that, you know, Brokeback Mountain, which didn't completely stand, it was clearly there was anal sex going on and that thing, but it didn't make you feel uh, uncomfortable. It was, it was just, you know, it was a really, you know, uh, appealing film that but But they got so loved, much yeah. shit
0: for it, right? Like, there are so many complaints about that. You know, you could be as graphic as you can, so you can be honest. You can show what it's really like to be a gay man. And the thing is, uh-huh. is is where movies are concerned, you know, uh, there is a code, a movie code for sex. Like there's, you know, that if you're watching a movie, they're they're only going to go so far. And it's true. Mm-hmm. We don't have sex in movies very much. But when it's there, it's the centerpiece, like in poor things, you know or showgirls or um body heat or um you know Body heat
1: was pretty good I thought.
0: Oh, Body Heat's one of my favorite movies, but I'm just saying that that the sex is there, but the sex is such a huge part of the story because that's what turns him into a <laughs> to a blind fool. Um yeah. is the sex, right? So it has to be there. It has to be the hottest sex you've ever had in your life for this guy to go and murder her husband, right?
2: Yeah, right.
0: Um but in this case, this wasn't what the movie was about, and I thought that it robbed the emotional scenes uh, yeah. of their power because the sex was so graphic, uh, and it didn't have to be. And the scenes with him and his mom and dad, I think, are just exceptional, um, unbelievable. I like
1: Claire Foy. Claire Foy is very good. She was uh, as his mom. but uh, And let's the dad,
0: be, uh, the the conversation with him and his dad about, I mean, it was just you know yeah. his dad regretting his behavior towards him, and, and Andrew Scott's vulnerability and crying, and all of that mm. was just it tore my heart out. And I even liked the scene where you know he's with his his lover. I just felt like the detours into sex
1: trivialized to the movie. Um, when you when you watch intimate scenes between actors, you want to um, kind of be attracted to the people that you're watching. <laughs> you want to find them at least acceptable. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because I can't stand Paul Mescal. I can't stand him, and the idea of being intimate with that guy <laughs> just makes my eyes roll into the back of my my back of my head. I'm sorry. Oh. And I don't. I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, I. I don't like the man. You know. And I was thinking with his little goatee and his beard going. Oh, oh <laughs> you know, Jesus God, let me out of here. But I had to stay, You know. So I stuck it out. You know. Yeah. And the idea the idea of having of a, 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 him going down on Andrew Scott, I and mean, I had to sort of sit there and go, okay, great. You know, Paul Mescal is giving me a blowjob. I really don't like this stuff. I'm sorry. And I, and I don't, I, w- I would like the sex to be suggested. And I, I'm obviously not, well, maybe it's not obvious, but I do not consider myself in any way homophobic. I'm completely cool with and supportive of freedom and openness and, and love and closeness. And you know, people want to be uh, feel loved, and they want to be close with certain people, and that's completely uh, approvable and cle- completely great. It's in, in fine. Mm-hmm. and fine. And but I don't want to be invited into bed with those guys. I'm sorry. I, I, w- I would like to just kind of say, okay, that's cool. You're together. Okay, great.
0: Well, no I, and that's the thing, and that's yeah. why you know, if I if I know that something's going to be you know, um, graphic sexuality, like. I know that mm-hmm. I'm prepared for that to be the movie. Right. And, and fine. That's, that's, um, that right. there's a place for that, surely. Mm-hmm. But when you're, oh, by
1: the way, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just, I no, I was just going to say ahead. that when
0: you're, when you're mm-hmm. dealing with these heavy, heavy, heavy mm-hmm. conversations of, of a child whose parents died when he's 12 and he's mm-hmm. talking to them and, and you're so wrapped up in this emotion and then you have to switch gears again to this, like, you know, Randy Wilde sexcapades. Like I just mm-hmm. I didn't think it was I just didn't think it worked personally. But yeah. um but beyond that I thought I thought it was it was just, you know, really well directed and really well written and acted.
1: And, and remember like, that uh Andrew Hay uh he made it into this gay thing because basically the uh original novel, it's a Japanese novel. You go to the Wikipedia page, the <clears throat> the uh the summary, the, the, the uh, of, the, of the plot of it, is the, ne- the narrator, who's Hideo Harada, a 47-year-old TV scriptwriter, which is what um, our, our hero uh, in, in the film is. He's a, mm. he's a uh, screenwriter. He meets a couple, meets a couple who bear an eerie resemblance to his dead parents. Oh, it's okay. different. And he forms a friendship with them, visiting them often. And as his health declines, he comes to realize that they are ghosts—ghosts ghosts of his parents—who are sapping his life force. In other words, you can't live in the past; you can't glom on to memories. You have got to live in the here and now, which is the healthiest, most Baba Ramdas cosmic way of living. Yeah, be here now, and there—and he's not doing that. So it's kind of a. I don't know if it was, uh, I I think someone said it was kind of a horror film, a horror story, rather, but it it certainly is unnerving. So this is a whole kind of, uh, I mean, Andrew Hay created this thing that was more affirming about identity and in his lifestyle, and he wanted his parents to know who he was and so on, but it's not what the original thing is so he made it his own thing, which is fine you know, but let's just acknowledge that it's yeah
0: um uh, yeah. uh and it's a it's a straight relationship I think if it was this movie with a heterosexual relationship, I think it would be more mm-hmm. universal in its telling because people will be able to relate to it more mm-hmm. just as the majority is is straight um in the right. in this country like by ninety percent or something like ninety five percent but um, but regardless- you,
1: you, you know what it's like if you say what I've said just now, the, all the bullies get on you and basically you're a bad person, you're homophobic, no matter what you say, you're a homophobe. either you're into graphic male gay sex with 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 cum on your chest or you're or you're a bad person. That's what it basically boils down to. And yeah. all the critics know that you have to say you can't say anything about it like what I just said. And, and most of the people out there. Do feel as I as I do, but the, the most of the people out there are gorillas in their opinion. They're bad people who are insufficiently evolved. Let me just tell you a story from Death Trap, which I I perversely decided to watch last night because I was kind of curious to see how it it's so Michael Caine. Yeah. yeah, based upon the Ira Levin play, which I saw in broad in Broadway in late seventies, I think it was. Death Trap became a Sidney Lumet film in nineteen eighty two. And it's basically I won't uh, bore bore you or bog you down with the plot, but basically it's a kind of a. Uh, it's twisty, funny. Twisty. Yeah, it's, it's Christopher. It's thriller, Christopher you know?
0: Reeve, right? Christopher yeah. Reeve and yeah. him, and then yeah. there's a third person, yeah. right? Isn't it a tri- love triangle kind of thing?
1: Well, not really, because Diane Cannon is not uh, is, is not a lot of love going on. She's basically his uh, Michael Caine's rich wife, and he does have a thing. And
0: it's funny, right? Death Trap is funny.
1: It's played for laughs, but, it's, yeah. but it, 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 in, the, in the play version, it's played for just what it is. Whereas the movie, uh, you, you know, kind of gooses you and makes you feel that it's kind of funnier than, it, than you realize it is. And it has kind of goosy music and, it, and it's not as effective. It was much more interesting. Now, I was really taken by the, by the play. The movie isn't as good, but here's the thing. Um, when they had a, they have a scene it wasn't there was no kissing between the Michael Caine character and the Chris Reeve character in the play. And the play in the play, by the way, the lover, the younger lover is played by Victor Garber, who you might remember as the uh, architect of the Titanic. And he was the one who, who basically told Kate Winslet that the ship is going to sink. You remember that character? Do You, mi- by-
0: you miss nothing, Rose. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's yeah. also known yeah. as Jennifer Garner's very close friend.
1: Okay. For what it's okay. worth.
0: Who cares? But anyway. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so he was the younger lover, and John Wood was the Michael Caine character. There is no, it was implied, it was stated, but not, but not heavily, that they were lovers, and that's okay. But in the, in the movie, there's a kissing scene, and they had a preview of Sidney Lumet's death trap in Denver. And somebody, and the, the scene was booed by people. Um. Booed. And some guy yelled out, say it ain't so, Superman. Oh, <laughs> this is it. and this is Chris Reeves saying this is what happened. And we lost ten million dollars uh, in terms of the, the income, which is a big deal back in 82 because of this aspect.
0: Uh, well, uh, see, that, that you bring up a good point, because one of the things I really loved about all of us strangers, which hit, took me by surprise, the whole movie took me by surprise because I was prepared to kind of hate it. I sort of hate everything that film Twitter loves. But um, okay. but Andrew Scott was just so good, and, and it was just such a—I a, felt— He's a good
1: actor. He's,
0: he's a, a great—and I, I really felt the scenes of him mourning yeah. the loss of somebody he loved. And I just feel that so deeply after the COVID, and my, my beloved yeah. Rick overdosed. You know, like, I just—it's such a haunting, right. sad thing to live with that death of somebody like that. And he reminded mm-hmm. me of him for some reason. But mm. in the 80s, as you and I were talking about this— Th- mm. you couldn't come out. Like that wasn't a thing. Like I had a friend in high school who was gay. We talked about this before. I know it's on another podcast, but you know, mm. I was trying to explain to my daughter, like I, you know, in my hometown, I don't know what it was like in New York city or LA, but in my hometown, you could not come out as gay. You couldn't even say the it word was, I'm gay.
1: It wasn't a good idea.
0: That's like why, why it was such a big deal. When Ellen DeGeneres came out and said, she's gay. I mean, people don't
1: was that, by the way,
0: I think it was somewhere in the nineties, but, um, but the the thing I loved about all of us strangers is it took us, it took us back to that Mm -hmm. time. And, and it's a really smart idea of him to, to set a movie to juxtapose the two times and how, how far that they've come and how things have changed so dramatically now. And, um, mm-hmm. and and the mother is still stuck in that time in the 80s or 90s or whatever it is where, where people didn't come out and where it was, you know, mm-hmm. it just wasn't discussed or talked about. I thought she handled uh-huh. it really well. She handled, mm-hmm. but it was realistic to me, her reaction. Like if she'd just been like, that's wonderful, honey, it wouldn't have been realistic, you know.
1: She, you know what's not realistic? His parents uh, saying to him. Uh, so we are—we're going to die in a car crash. We understand that you told us that, uh, but just tell us: was it a painful death, or do we? It was it a quick one? Right. Remember, and yeah. he says, "Oh no, it was quick." He yeah, he he lies to that. her
0: because he doesn't want his mother to be in pain. Mm. Remember, because she's lying.
1: A, I, I, I thought it was
0: no. Quick. He's he tells a story that his dad died right away, but his—it's such a great story. It's such a beautiful script, but his mm. mother went to a hospital and. Um, had lost her eye and was in the hospital oh, for a couple of days and then died and, right. and they wouldn't let him yeah. go see her. But he went mm-hmm. back and he looked for her eye to see if he could find it. And oh, um goodness. and so when yeah. she says, did I die because he loves her, he doesn't want her to live in eternity knowing mm-hmm. that. He just lies and says, yeah, it was quick. <laughs>
1: Oh, I I didn't relate to that. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't see I mean, they, it hasn't happened to them in a sense. They're, in a sense, they're in that time period. They're in the 80s. They're talking to him, but they're from the 80s, and their fate hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And she's asking him what, what does happen. I, I didn't buy it. I didn't, didn't find it Well, I'm or- going to
0: say something that I might cut out later, and you're going to have to tell me if you want me to cut this out. I might cut it out because I don't know how much shit I can take in a day from people. But I, I do want to discuss with you briefly this visceral reaction people have to seeing two men kissing um, or sometimes two women kissing, which is, I believe, that it is...
1: Nobody has problems with women kissing.
0: Sometimes they do.
1: Who? I don't know one straight guy who's ever had that a problem with that. Not a single... Well, what
0: about Lightyear, when they had a lesbian kiss on Lightyear?
1: Oh, well, that's a different thing. That was tokenism and wokeism trying to be, I think, I think what itself into
0: a yeah what they're trying to do is quote-unquote normalize gay yeah. sex for heterosexual majority of this country which is 95 percent or something like that and, and it's for it's, kids. it's 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 bleeding into indoctrination in my opinion what they're doing they're having coming out day and pride flags at elementary schools and the trans kids and all that i think yeah. they're pushing the Pushing things too far and it's going to lead to a backlash in my opinion
1: it already has it already has levels. and it's
0: going to be even worse um, mm-hmm. but I do think that there that this need to to rush people to accept something that they're not quite ready for is is not the right thing to do in life as art yeah. as artists, you know, especially if you're making movies I think that I think there is something to people that they react to it in a visceral way like they would, say, cannibalism, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's Mm -hmm. like they know that there's something – it's not just a taboo. It just feels wrong to them when they see it. It weirds them out because it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like what they know and and that's going to lead to reproduction and, you know – Mm-hmm. I know that's a scandalous thing to say, and it does. It just there the people in the activist community and like the readers on your site, all of them would say, would judge people very harshly and say they're just hateful bigots. They're hateful yeah. homophobic. But I don't think that that's really true. Actually, I think there's just a an adjustment problem that's going on. You know, like my mom, for instance, she can't watch men ha- kissing each other, she's not homophobic. A lot of her friends are gay, and. But it just weirds her out. She's like, oh, it just makes me sick. (laughs) And I know that sounds hurtful and horrible. And I would never want any of my gay friends to ever hear anyone say that. And my mom's not hateful and she's not a bigot. It's just something that she feels, you know. And so what do you want people to do? Do you want them to lie to you or you want them to be honest with you? And is and do you think this is too controversial for me to say on a podcast?
1: No, no. This is this is a, a, an adjunct or on the same level that you know. It's it. There is a way to be uh, compassionate, to be uh, respectful of people whose gender orientation is different than yours, and yet at the same time to say you don't particularly want to be invited into the bedroom. Certainly not to the point of semen on somebody's chest being licked off by the other person. No, thanks. I don't really want to go there it's okay uh i'm not saying well i didn't
0: exactly compliment. like him doing that thing in saltburn either right like then that was a man and a woman yeah that was just as gross to me right so you know i don't know that it's it's necessarily about you just don't it's, see a lot of semen in movies
1: no <laughs> it's not and not as a rule but but thank we've got it now with thanks to Andrew <laughs> Hay, which is uh which is wonderful andrew thanks you know <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And you can't say this. I mean, uh, as you well know, there is no critic with a name at a major outlet that will dare come close to this. They just won't touch it. You know, know, know it'll make them a bad person. No, I know. Of course,
0: um, everybody lives in terror, abject terror of the gay community, of the trans community. They just, you know, they know their careers are going to be over. But I will tell you this. My gay friend, Michael, Mm -hmm. I asked him because I was like, oh, Michael, you got to see this movie. You're going to love it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, this story between, you know, these these gay men and they you know, they love each other and that and he's right. coming out to his parents and, and Michael said, Oh, I saw that. I saw it in Telluride and I was like, Oh, oh, okay. what'd you think of it? He's like, It was okay. <laughs> like it wasn't like the greatest <laughs> thing he ever saw, you know. He didn't particularly care one way or the other, but it. it didn't hit him hard. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh I don't think it's necessarily like all gay people are gonna love this movie.
1: Well um okay all right and maybe but, not but I that. I
0: I really did think it was very good myself but
1: it's I think it's a definitely a well made film this is not a uh, a casual or 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 indecisive it's 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 good got good good moves and it's uh there's there's sincerity of feeling Uh you know, there's, there's no basis. To, and I don't want to put it down uh, on, on any level. I just feel personally uncomfortable with the gay sex scenes. I'm sorry. That's it. You know, I, I mean, there's a there's a, uh, a movie that Alan Ball, who I really respect, I, you know, he's the writer of American uh, Beauty. And he had a, a thing that I saw uh, not too long ago. I think it was uh, Amazon. That's right. I saw it. I didn't see it at Sundance, but it was on Amazon called Uncle Frank and Paul Bettany is a guy who's been in the closet and he comes back to his family reunion because his father has recently died and everybody's kind of getting together to you know say goodbye to their dad and uh Paul Bettany has a boyfriend who's a um uh middle eastern kind of muslim type guy and the bo- boyfriend decides he wants to come along and uh, and sort of you know why should i hide and there's a uh, this is whole thing about you know when a when a man's father has died and all and the sisters are there and the cousins and the uncles, do, you know is that the time when you want to say to everybody oh by the way people I'm I'm not straight and this is my boyfriend and we're together we love each other and we live in New York is that the time to say that when when everybody's like mourning the death of a father I don't think so but that's the whole pushiness of this idea that you got to have this stuff out and people have to be. Uh, well, they're even, I mean, difficult.
0: and all elementary school kids have to learn all the terms and all that were measured by our identities and we're all yeah. divided into categories and, you know, we're nothing if we're not a thing, you know, in one of those categories, if we don't have an identity our, tag, you
1: mm-hmm. know,
0: a pronoun tag, what, you know, what is our, our, you know, are we pad sexual or are we, you know, it's, it's gone in such a bizarre direction that, you know, the normie mm-hmm. gays, like in all of us strangers seem almost old fashioned. You know, yeah, but I agree with yeah. you that there is this need to force it and foist it and change mm-hmm. society, change how society thinks, and so since yeah. neither one of us is gay, we have no idea what it feels like to be somebody that people feel that way about, you know, um mm. to feel like an outsider to that's, feel a like, yeah. Yeah, that's
1: a fair point yeah fair point, yeah
0: so I you know that's why I reserve judgment on these things, and I always try to be as sort of open-minded as I can and delicate as I can. What I don't like is is being forced, and I don't like children being forced into a a belief system. I
1: despise bringing children into this. I despise it.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's very, very, very... Maybe they'll grow up to be gay. You know, maybe Uh, they'll go through puberty and they'll grow up to be gay, but they don't know that until they go through puberty. And they might say, oh, yeah, I knew when I was five. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you didn't, you know?
1: I um, talked to some some gay guys who knew exactly who they were and what their feelings were when they were eight years old, when they were nine, when they were ten. Okay, that's that's. I mean, I certainly knew what my heterosexual inclinations were when I was eight. I remember buying girly mesty. I don't mean buying. I mean stealing one at a drugstore with my friend. We we managed to steal a magazine, and because we were into the hot photos, so there's okay. You know, that's, that's yeah. Pretty I
0: mean, fun. I think it's it's uh-huh. it's different. I mean, you know, the thing about. Us people is that we're such a spectrum of I don't think I don't think that they should bother with the surgeries and the drugs to change their gender because we have so many variations in our genders just as we are without any like there are very feminine girls, very feminine girls that I can't relate to. They talk like this and they have, you know, pretty pink hair and they're very soft. And when they shake your hand, it's very light handshake. And they're mm-hmm. very feminine, you know. And then on the other side of things, you have, you know, butch lesbians who are who basically are almost guys. But they're yeah. still women, and they can still be defined as women. Why do they have to be, I'm actually a guy? Why is it so binary, you know? But, um, but I think that the, the spectrum of sexuality is also there. I think if you're growing up in a, in a, in a community where it's cool to be in the LGBTQIA group, then it's not that hard to switch your brain and just say, "Oh yeah, I'm bi," or "Oh yeah, I'm gay."
1: That's exactly what's happening, as we all yeah. know. It's it's very very strong in the urban areas because it's very peer pressure wise. That's very much of a thing. Yeah. And how, what kid is going to say, "I'd rather be off on my own beam and not be part of the crowd that you know winks and loves all this." it's just totally normal they're not and, and
0: every girl that that graduated from my daughter's high school was one of those things either gay, bi, trans, something. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if they weren't, they said they were. And a lot of those girls I now know are just perfectly straight, dating men, living with men. And uh and but it is a nuanced thing. I mean, I've always thought personally that you fall in love with people that like I have I have this ongoing crush on a transgender person that I listened to the his podcast um, mm-hmm. and he's a she presenting as, but he's is, a
1: bio male who's,
0: but, but regrets his surgery and cannot stand the trans movement and is, is spending every single day trying to fight back and to help kids not get into this mess and to protect women in sports. He's all that, but he's, he's also trans, but what's his name again? His name is um, the, the podcast is called Heterodorks. <laughs> like heterodox, but heterodorks, and it's a it's a they call it it's for turfs and trannies. <laughs> and the woman is a turf and her name okay. is Nina Paley, and she is very much one of those she is your typical you know, the very definition of a turf, a right. radical feminist who, you know, is very much opposed to the whole trans thing. Mm. And then there's um uh Nina. Nina Paley and Corinne Cohn.
1: And by the way, uh, you I'm finally uh seeing um, actually at the end of the week, uh, Saturday, actually is, I finally get to see, um, the Fincher.
0: Oh, good.
1: And, um, and, um, I'm very much looking forward to that and you have seen it more than.
0: Uh-huh. I've right? seen it, but I'm, I'm also going to go down to see it in a theater soon in like a oh, couple cool. of weeks. I'd really love to see it on the big screen. I think you're really going to like it because uh-huh. it's so your thing. Um, also it's, it's very much as it's, it's typical with Fincher. Unlike anything else that's out this year.
1: Right? We it's, should say that it's called The Killer, for those who are not familiar. The it's the killer. latest David Fincher film. And um can you just run down the basics?
0: So it's it's based on a graphic novel. Um mm-hmm. by I can't remember the guy's name, like an idiot. I have it. Um and okay. Andrew Kevin Walker Kevin Andrew Kevin Walker.
1: Screenwriter of seven, seven, which is a great yeah. screenplay.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me just get the right. name of the, uh, and basically the, um, the, uh, the comic is really long, but really funny. It's about an assassin in France, um, who is, uh, you know, the whole thing is his inner monologue, you know, and, and him ruminating on humanity in really, really funny ways mm. as he's being this assassin. And so David Fincher took that and had um, it, it, it's a totally different plot. Andrew Kevin Walker's um, um, plot is totally different than in the comic. So what you're seeing is it's similar in that he's giving him the same monologue, but it's different in that the things that happen in this are very different. There's, for instance, in the graphic novel, there's a lot of sex. The guy mm-hmm. sleeps with all these different women, but that's not in the mm-hmm. movie that's been taken out or it never was there.
1: The movie is primarily, this has been written about uh, quite uh, plainly in in reviews. It's about a, uh, an assassin who has made a mistake, right? He's made a mistake and not fulfilled a contract. Uh. And as a result of having made a mistake, he is being pursued by his employers as having really screwed up their whole plan. And he, so he's in trouble himself. Isn't that Mm. more or less that?
0: Well, that's the, that's the setup. But that's not what happens in the movie because he, he doesn't go along with that. He flips it around, um, to, uh, it's basically a revenge movie, right? Mm -hmm. So he has to make it so that the people he loves will not be attacked and that he will be safe. And so you watch him do that. It's definitely not a movie that the critics are creaming themselves over. They're definitely Mm -hmm. not like there's a lot of, uh, green tomatoes for it. Um, okay. by really annoying people, if I may say. Um,
1: What's the score as we speak? It's 79-79. It? Oh, that's a, that's you know that's really unusual because obviously that's mo- that's primarily a positive but it's not a strong positive. It's a you know if they really like something, it's in the nineties. Yeah. And if there are you know a few dissenters here and there, it might be eighty eight or eighty five. But seventy nine—that's fascinating because that almost never happens.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think they were probably it. It doesn't meet their expectations. I think is the deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. they're they're looking for something that that isn't there. But that but that's not unusual for him. A lot of his movies are. Fight Club was received this way. Gone Girl was received this way. Dragon Tattoo was received this way. The only one that mm-hmm. they ever creamed themselves over was The Social Network. Um, and Zodiac.
1: Wait a minute, that, I, I thought that, that Zodiac, which I thought was Both wonderful.
0: Zodiac, the Zodiac. And, the, the Zodiac and, the, and The Social Network are the two that they really, really loved. Yeah. But the other ones they don't quite get. To me, Fincher's movies are like Scorsese. A lot of Scorsese movies not necessarily the latest one, but usually Scorsese movies, is that they don't quite fit in their time, but over time they, they gain in prominence. Like, for instance, 2014 when Gone Girl came out, there's, there's no movie that came out that year that was nominated for an Oscar mm-hmm. um, or not that has been remembered as well as that movie has. Like, that movie mm-hmm. has entered the zeitgeist. Everybody knows it. Everybody talks about it. Everybody references it. They retrospectively right. believe that it's a great movie, even though many of them didn't think it was at the time hmm. So um, but it's it is a very different kind of Scorsese movie. I mean, um, Fincher movie. It's a very different it's kind movies. of thing. Yeah, mm. it's, it's not his usual thing. It's it's very different. It's very clean and lean and almost works as a, a a first episode of what would become an ongoing series. So, you know, me, I'm a huge fan of David Fincher's. Obviously, like I even love Panic Room, Benjamin Button. I like his movies um and this one is you know it's it's less meat on the bones than usual right but um streamlined it's a ru- it's a rumination it's just an inner monologue filled with action beautiful directing clean but i think when you see it you'll see what i'm talking about about an episode 1 of a of a series
1: well the 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 satisfaction levels um uh, are always about endings and I don't want you to tell me the ending, but I'd like to know what you feel about the ending. Do you feel that the ending sticks? It does it? Does it stick? The landing?
0: Well, you can't ask me
1: that question. Oh, I don't, I'm not asking you to say anything. I'm just saying, no. I
0: mean, you know how much I love his movies, and I love his this movie. So the answer I give you isn't going to be one that that you will agree with necessarily. But because
1: um, I know he understands how endings have to be. He understands a good ending as opposed to a,
0: it's an uh, ending that is also a beginning. It's like the end of 400 blows. Okay. Where, you know, it, it's, well, that's, it's, that sounds like a good ending. It's that it, kind it's of thing. Like it's that. it's a haunting ending yeah. that I love. I love endings like that myself, mm. you know, okay. um, that, I think he captures the paranoia of our time.
1: See, that sounds great. Um, that sounds really good.
0: Yeah. I you think know? he captures I mean, that's, it.
1: that's what I love about good filmmakers. It, it's not, you know, the story is one thing, but it's what you feel as you're watching it in between the lines. And, and you know, you can just kind of sense this is, this is a lot about what's going on right now. I feel this myself. When I'm out on the street,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Generally. And I feel like at a, an hour and fifty-eight minutes, like that movie to me is too short. <laughs>
1: like, That's I another al- good sign. I,
0: I really wanted it to be an hour more because I loved yeah. hanging with him. I liked being in this world. I liked watching him do stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, it's brutal at times, but it's so it's so esoteric for a David yeah. Fincher movie. You know, it is. It operates on that level.
1: You've completely sold me on this. Anybody (laughs) listening to this, how could they not want to see this and like just salivating, you know?
0: I know. I I want to see it again. I loved it so much. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, kind of like Frantic in a way, like, but not as filled with, but, but similar to Frantic, I think in Vibe, the vibe is the same.
1: I instantly didn't like Frantic because of Betty Buckley, who played the wife, the kidnapped wife. Hmm. I said, I don't want to hang out with, her. I, I'm not. in Well, she's
0: only in it for like two seconds.
1: I know he's, and then she's gone very early. I know that it's all Harrison Ford, but still I couldn't understand why he would be married to Betty Buckley. I just didn't get it.
0: Well, I, I agree with that actually, but I love that movie. And I especially love the, I'm just. Hmm. The aesthetics of the Paris hotel and the, the sounds of her ordering that food and the way that it, they bring the croissants and the coffee and the, and the robes and the hotel. And Mm -hmm. it's also perfect. And then the whole thing gets upended and disrupted. And and I love that about it. And I love that it's about um, his anxiety about losing Sharon Tate, you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel in the killer, there's similar anxiety. There's similar kind of Mm -hmm. nervous trying to keep things together, you know, and, and things could just, completely implode at any time. Right. Um, so anyway, that's a good move. A very long time. Do you think we should, let's just, oh, by us- the way,
1: I'm going to see the ne- next day uh, on the 14th, I see the killer and the very next night I see Ferrari, but you have not seen that yet. Right? No,
0: I haven't. Um,
1: but and then the following Friday, a few days after Ferrari at the New York film festival is the opening of after God knows how many weeks people have been talking about it is finally the day of reckoning for Martin Scarsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. And finally, you know, they haven't let really anybody see this thing. Do you think there's a reason why they haven't done that? Why they haven't put it into any film festivals? Can I get your speculative, you know, just kind of what do you think is the strategy behind that? Mm. You don't want to say anything?
0: Um, I don't know. Oh. I mean, all I'm hearing is good stuff from it, except for a few. I mean, everybody who sees it really likes it, you know. Um, but
1: they, they did the, the vast majority in Cannes certainly was were very very pleased with it. And well, everybody that I see, not, I
0: don't um, see anybody say, "Oh, it didn't work for me," or "It wasn't this or that." I see just glowing praise. Um, well, here's
1: a comment from a friend who was at Cannes with me, and he said to me three three days ago, <clears throat> with Killers of the Flower Moon Martin Scorsese has become a dull moralist and this is what not what we go to his films for for him to listen to his dull sermonizing and dull moralizing. Hmm. You don't want to say anything about that. Is that either.
0: our is that our friend mutual friend?
1: Yeah, it's a mutual friend.
0: Mutual friend. Yeah, his feelings on this were very strong, unusually hmm. so. Um I I just remember <laughs>
1: What's I just funny. remember the
0: argument and tell your eye <laughs> that we got. Oh, into.
1: yeah, the Lily Gladstone argument. Yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and that was a that was an island. I don't.
1: I won't have it.
0: Jeff. <laughs> That's
1: offensive. Jeff. Don't be. Don't be that person. I. I like you. We've. We've known each other for decades. But if you say that <laughs> That's again, offensive. Just, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know? <laughs>
0: but it was sort of like you were saying that you know there is no such thing as God or you know I mean it was really a very.
1: Very, very uh, deeply held,
0: deeply belief. held belief in that. And that woke me up in that moment to what exactly is happening here and, and what people are going to think about this movie ultimately mm-hmm. and how it's going to fit into that. I think that, as I told you, as I talked about before, this is very much an important part of the ongoing exodus, the journey, the uh, the rapture. That they need to have this moment of reckoning for the Native American peoples, for the indigenous peoples in our history. Remember we talked about the Academy Museum and that North by Northwest thing, the apology for Hitchcock. (laughs) He is setting one of the greatest scenes ever made, ever filmed on Mount Rushmore with Eva Marie Saint hanging off and I would like to do a scene on Mount Rushmore (laughs) hanging off the president's faces, you know, to him, -hmm. it's just pure cinema. And here comes all these activists, you know, "Ah, it's on Native American land. How dare you? And so when they put North by Northwest, People come in there thinking, "Oh, this is great. Let's go. Let's go look at a. Let's go look at a Hitchcock exhibit." <laughs> it's like the hammer comes down, wah, wah. Yeah. and this horrible message of like, "We're very sorry
1: that this movie was filmed at all." Yes, we're sorry. We're really sorry about it. Alfred <laughs> Hitchcock sorry. wasn't perceptive or, or sensitive enough. <laughs> yeah. He didn't care enough about the uh, North South Dakota Indians uh, that yeah. tribe. You know, and all we can say is we're sorry. And if Hitchcock were here, we'd be forcing him to say that he's sorry. Uh, And (laughs) Terry Grant would have to apologize and everybody. And
0: we can't celebrate this movie because if we do, people are going to say, how dare you celebrate this movie? It has that scene in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But if you don't see North by Northwest and you don't see that scene, you know, before they take away Mount Rushmore, which they probably will at some point.
1: Dynamite it. huh?
0: Well, probably, don't you think? I mean,
1: they have quite an extreme. How does that survive? (laughs) I don't see how they do that. But I know that there are some people who sincerely would be fine with that. Um, By the way, speaking of um, of, um, Flower Moon and Lily, you know that there's a poll quote in the, is it Glamour? No, Vogue. The Vogue uh, cover that we recently talked about, the one that's the black and white cover, she looks really great. That really nice photo of her mm. and Leo yeah. together. She says, the uh, the big quote." she says, there is a great reckoning coming. Yes. I said, great reckoning coming? We've had that great reckoning, the great woke. Yeah, but they haven't
0: moved through the, the Native Americans yet. We have to go through every single one and and this is the one this is the big one right because killers of the flower moon speaks right to that and and as i was talking to you about this t- also recently which is that that's to to me one of the movie's biggest problems is that um they're asking people to be invested for 3 hours to feel really really bad about their mm-hmm. history and about their country and and it's deservedly so it's a terrible thing that happened but sometimes people wanna to go to the, and Oppenheimer has the same problem by the way and sometimes mm. people just want to escape you know like Barbie is an escape almost not quite mm. but almost right. and um and I'm not sure I'm not sure how that plays I do think that that there's a very good chance that Lily will just pull out the win for best actress and that's that okay um especially if the movie doesn't win anything else I think it's going to win best score for Robbie Robertson
1: I think that's true as a way of tributing poor Robbie who passed uh, last summer, was it? Yeah. And I I completely see that. But my initial reaction when I saw it in Cannes was that if nothing else, this is a big win for Lily Gladstone. She's going to definitely get um, a lot of play out of this. But I meant in terms of, you know, definitely. I thought they were going to go for best supporting and she would win. I was completely, um, couldn't understand why they would, want to try for a best actor actress when she's clearly not giving what most of us recognize as a strong best actress performance it's a it's a totally fine and and pot, almost certain to win best supporting actress no question about it but not best actress but they went with it anyway because they want to i don't know what the well, she is. will
0: win because and it is you know <laughs> that's offensive fine. jeff
1: um, What's if, offensive,
0: you know, when he said that to you, that's offensive if you if you talk about her as oh, an, oh, yeah, as an identity thing, but the thing is is it's not just an identity thing it's it's a reckoning, it's a retribution. It's a way to give back something to the community.
1: To the Native Americans, say it. To the people who are in this country who are Native Americans, various tribes, various parts of the country. But
0: but also right? Hollywood's treatment of them and, and the yeah, whole. Yeah,
1: what Marlon Brando was talking about 50 years ago. Well, Marlon exactly.
0: Brando and and that, that thing with Little Littlefeather, that whole humiliating experience. Sure. Like this is a way to redeem them for all of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know.
1: I don't know that, you know, I think that when you really look at that, uh, Marlon Brando didn't want to take the heat or didn't want to have, it. he should have stood up and said it himself. Why, why does he send her a proxy to, to re- refuse his Oscar? I don't think that was a very uh, compassionate thing. Uh, I would have liked, if I, if I feel that strongly about it, I would say that I would think, get up and say, thank you for this. Do you but think I'm he was, do you it. think
0: he was banging her? Uh,
1: okay. Yes, I absolutely do. Cause she was quite hot. She was fetching. She was so attractive. maybe that had
0: to do with something to do with it. You know, go accept my, Oscar. I, I think,
1: I think that yeah, I don't think it was meaningful, probably. But I, I knowing what he was, he was quite the hound. He didn't uh, let any any stone go unturned. So yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Not that it means anything, but I think so. Yeah, but she, I, she did a kind of a Playboy thing, you know. And I was looking at photos of that, which I, I was stupid enough to post. But you know, there's no question; she was quite the number back then. So
0: yeah, big boobs, really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see him well, saying like, hey, go, go do this. You know, this will be. You know, it'll show how what a big deal he is, because he's winning best actor. It was a win win for him all the way around. Right. Um, Because he gets to look like oh. a good guy. You know, back then, the Dustin Hoffman's mm-hmm. and the Marlon Brando's, they were the Mavericks. They were the rebels. Right. And they didn't even think accepting awards at the Oscars was was respectable. Like. If you watch Dustin Hoffman winning his award for Kramer versus Kramer, he, mm-hmm. he basically almost gives an apology, uh, for being there. That,
1: you mean that other that the people who were also nominated should have won, or that yeah, that there's this, or there was
0: this big thing back then of, and mm-hmm. I remember this period because I was coming of age. They were mm-hmm. they were kind of sneered upon the Oscars mm-hmm. and, and the Golden Globes, right? That the that the, their high craft, their respectable craft of acting would deign to accept awards like Katherine Hepburn, you know, who never went to accept one or,
1: mm-hmm. you know, there was this, this. George C. Scott.
0: Yeah. Yeah. George C. Scott. There was this element of you're not a real actor. If you go in for this competition thing, it's not a contest, you know, he
1: called it a meat parade.
0: <laughs> he's so good. Yeah. I mean, he's so good. He was such a good actor. Oh God. As Patton. Yeah, man, his performance of Patton and then his performance in Dr. Strangelove. Like these are just two of the greatest performances ever.
1: I loved uh, I I was so gratified that I was able to spend a little time with George C. Scott on the set of the remake of 12 Angry Men, which the late Billy Friedkin was the director of. And um, you know, he was there, and I got, and the publicist was, it took me to introduce him. We had, it was, I was said, oh, this is great. Mm. I finally, you know, get to talk to George C. Scott. And uh, Jack uh, Jack, Jack, Lemon was the uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Henry Fonda character in the 12 Angry Men remake. And at one point, uh, Jack Lemon, I guess he was fatigued or something, but he got the line wrong. Instead of saying, what do you mean? He says, how do you plead? <laughs> and, and when <laughs> when George Scott heard him say that, he went, oh, God, that's me, Jesus Christ.
0: <laughs> I'm going to post really the crazy. scene in Patton where he hits that poor soldier. That is such yeah. a great, <laughs> such of, a great scene. Yeah. Yellow, yeah. you yellow bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put no, you in front of a shot, firing squad. And
1: remember, he didn't actually slap him. He took his glove and slapped him with his glove. I yeah. In that big moment, you know, he I didn't just actually I, I, was,
0: I mean, you know, I think of the Roman Empire a lot. I also think of Patton a lot and General MacArthur and I yeah. think of World War Two. We talked about this. I I'm starting to sound like a broken record. Look at me. I'm this old person now telling the same <laughs> stories over and over again. <laughs> so I'll just all I was saying was that, you know, you think about these hard soldiers in World War Two, like Patton. Patton is the kind of guy you want if you're fighting Hitler. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and we just, this, our culture, the way it is now, they would run mm-hmm. Patton out of town on a rail.
1: Uh, almost, uh, one of the most, absolutely one of the best endings of any film, in, a war film or, or not, is that moment when he talks about, uh, he's walking his dog and he talks about how the Roman conquerors would yeah. be, you know, rose petals and garlands and a slave standing behind them on the, on the, uh, Chariot, saying that uh, all glory is fleeting. Mm. That was a very, very sad and, and devastating moment for me uh, because it is fleeting. All of life is fleeting. All the joy and all the glory of of life—it's—it's—it's it's, it's not going to last. It's going to stay with oh, you. Oh God, I know every away. every
0: minute is just ticking by. It's so scary how fast
1: yeah.
0: time goes. But I really do think we're heading for another big war like that. That World War Two, you know, defined all of the years before and all of the years after into the 50s until the counterculture split apart from it. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, most people just don't have, young people like my daughter, they don't have a connection to World War II. They don't remember all those lessons have to be learned all over again.
1: Yeah.
0: And just to take it back to the Iran-funded attack by Hamas, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sorry to say, but you can't have soft-palmed men in charge In a situation, you need some tough guys in there. You know, yeah. It just—it's just the reality of it. You know, it just is. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, we've talked long enough, my friend. Yes, we have.
1: Yes, we have. But I'm glad, uh, and let's let us never shirk from. And I I completely respect everything you say. You can insult me any way you want. It's okay. (laughs) I will not get upset. (laughs) Okay. Because I uh, I know that you're not trying to you know insult me. You're just trying to make a point in a strong way. And that's okay. That's
0: well, I, I'm my mother's daughter, right? And and I'm <laughs> I'm a lot nicer than she is. And it's it's one of those things. If you're she's a mercurial person, you know what that means? Merc- mercurial meaning that mm-hmm. you just react quickly without thinking yeah. sometimes, and and yeah. you can't control yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm so horrible on Twitter is because it's just constant <laughs> mercurial reaction, and so people are like, "Wow, she's really." Yeah. I'm obviously not like that in real life, although you catch some of that in our conversations. Because if you trigger, if you say something that triggers me, then I do mm-hmm. tend to go off. And sometimes I am too insulting to you. So I'm sorry about that. Well,
1: that's OK. I just I just know that whenever you say you're an NBC, MSNBC person, I know that you're going through <laughs> one of your moments, you know.
0: <laughs> OK. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. it was nice talking to you.
1: Yeah. Have a great Sunday.
0: All right. You too. All Talk right, to you care. soon. All right. Bye. bye. Wee!